Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 40, and today I have the one and only hype man, Sean Freeman. How are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's an honor to be here. So what was your day like today? Uh, day's been pretty relaxed so far. Um, woke up this morning, uh, coffee, had physio, relaxed a little bit, now I'm here. Nice, nice. What's it like being a salesman at The Brick? Uh, it's good. Uh, I've been there probably about five years now. Uh, great company to work for. I think every single one of my family members has been there, um, at one point in their lives. Uh, my dad's still there, so, um... It's good. Yeah, I like it. Sweet. Yeah. What is the most rewarding part of the job? Because every every job is different, but in its own dynamics, every job has rewards, and then it has like the things that are tough that you've learned from. So let's talk about rewards first. Uh, rewards. It's like I since I moved from uh, selling appliances into mattresses and stuff, I find uh, I'm at a smaller store, so I actually get to connect with people a lot better. Um, I get to have a little bit more of an intimate uh, shopping experience. And then just through social media and stuff, I've met a lot of people that have come to see me and stuff and made even more connections that way. So it's pretty fun that way. Totally. You're like the most community integrated matches salesperson that I know. Oh, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. And <laughs> yeah. I like that. So I'll, I'll take that rep for sure. What was the toughest thing about like just... Going to work every day, everybody has something that's tough about their job. What would you say is the toughest thing? Uh, commission sales is no joke. Uh, it's it's ups and downs. It's it's probably the hardest part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you had somebody that was like, how, how am I going to make this work? I need advice. What kind of advice would you give to them on commission sales? Uh, honesty. Uh, don't try and be a salesperson, I guess. Yeah. Um, as cliche as it sounds... I think I saw a quote once. It was like, don't be a sales pitch, be a resource. Yeah. Um, yes and no, but for sure it's, you just got to be, have integrity and people will see that. People will see that you're genuine and they'll want to not only buy from you the first time, but they'll want to come back again and again. Yeah. Whether it's for another mattress or something else. Um, it's good that way. I think integrity in any line of work goes a long way. Like that's, that's why people are like, oh, a mattress? Go go to this guy. I know this great guy. Like, I, I don't think he'll fleece you because he shows integrity in everything that he does. Yeah, for sure. I like it. It's, um, yeah, when you get a reputation for being somebody that doesn't just, you know, sell based on price point and what pays you more, um, you'll just find that you'll get more business that way. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's kind of one of those rules that you can apply to almost everything. Like, you, you don't... Just like for me as a trainer, I'm not going to sell a person on some package to get this big lump sum amount of money. I'm going to figure out what they're looking for and do my very best to offer that kind of thing. Like even even if that means to pay bills, I still need more clients. At least the clients that I have will be happy clients because I, I did my best to listen kind of thing. And I think that's a quality that I see in you. I think you're a pretty real human being. So now we have to take it back to your origin story. What, what were you like as a kid? What was your, your upbringing like? 
Uh, <laughs> um, well, I'm a the youngest of seven Ooh. from a huge uh, blended family. Um, there's two Sean's, two Aaron's. Um, I'm lucky enough to have four parents. Um, a lot of people ask or talk about like product of divorce and all that stuff. But luckily for me, it's never been a, a real big issue. Like I saw it as like, sweet, I get more presents at Christmas. So I get more presents on my birthday, all that kind of stuff. And I've got three brothers and three sisters who look after me. So nothing wrong with that at all. That's amazing. Yeah. So what was your favorite game to play as a kid? <laughs> I don't know if I had a favorite game that I can remember. It's your favorite um, thing to pass the time. Oh, well, just watching my two stepbrothers uh, play um, Sega Genesis. Oh, yeah. It was probably the funniest thing in the world to watch. <laughs> Whether it's like throwing remotes at each other, beating up on each other because it's just over a silly little game. It was probably one of my favorite things to do. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, what... What was the, like, did you play sports? What, what were your hobbies outside of the house? Uh, soccer. Pretty Thanks. much my whole life, yeah. Um, cool. I don't know where it came from. I don't uh, know how to skate. So I would always joke around that I'm probably the worst Canadian in that way, where I don't, <laughs> I don't even, I barely know how to skate. Um, but soccer was kind of my, my thing of choice. Um, played community league um, in Calgary, yeah. where I grew up for most of my life. Um, played men's league here, and then I actually played on the national Paralympic soccer team nice. for probably about three or four years. What was that experience like? It was a unique experience for sure. Yeah. Um, but also just an amazing one. Um, yeah. I got to travel all over North America. Got to go to Spain a few times. Um, got to see the world that way. Um, so it was really cool. And your your life has its obstacles and stuff what would you say would be the the greatest obstacle that you've had to face essentially um that's a hard one actually i'm not sure to think about it i would say um sobriety would be my hugest obstacle um i've been sober now for about i think 15 months going on 16 yeah uh and it's been a challenge for sure but uh, I like I said before I've got one of the biggest support systems known to anyone so yeah. I'm pretty lucky that way you got a lot of people pulling for you yeah. like uh, every time if I ever talk about non-alcoholic beer and I'll often be in that conversation with like Vance or somebody who's like looking through beer because it's part of business development Yeah, and I'll be like you know I saw this one and I like messaged it to Sean and like you're you're my person that I know will always appreciate a non-alcoholic beer. Oh, yeah. Because it just, it's it's not so much the alcohol, it's just like the craft of making it and like the, it's, there's so much to it. Like right now, as we speak, I have nothing but non-alcoholic beer in my fridge. Yeah. Because I like it for its like recovery attributes kind of thing. Yeah, I just, I like it. And I'm always on the hunt for different kinds. So yeah. if anyone has some, just send them my way. I've tried, I have like even a little story on my Instagram of all the ones that I've tried so far. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I, I'm always looking for more. So, um, but for me, it was just like, um, it became a thing of like, you know, in society nowadays, it's everything can involve alcohol. And so 
for me, it was more of like a, a substitute when you go to like a barbecue or, you know, patio season is a thing. And, and so, um, for me, it was just always that substitute where I could feel somewhat okay in that situation. Um, but yeah, it's, and bars are getting to be better with all different kinds and stuff like that. Um, obviously central has the Heineken zero zero, uh, which is probably my favorite one. Um, and it's now become like a, a post, um, celebration for anything is to have one of those too. So totally. Yeah. And it's just, it enables people to integrate themselves with a little less like anxiety kind of thing. Cause yeah. it is so much a part of culture. Like I, one of my clients do, just doesn't drink alcohol at all, which like I totally support Yeah, and I don't want him to ever feel any reason to not live that way. Yeah. But then you see all these people going for patio season. And there's no doubt in my mind that a majority of his coworkers are going out for patio season. And like, how, how do you integrate into that social atmosphere? Yeah. How, how do you be like one of everybody else? And it's not to say that you should change yourself for anybody else, but certainly a lot nicer when there's options and there's just things to kind of like ghost yourself into, into the environment. Yeah. Well, I, I find with not drinking now and being such a drinker before, um, biggest thing is like sense of loss, right? So, and not fitting in. So now you can go anywhere pretty much and you can be that way. Now, some of the bottles are pretty, <laughs> they stand out pretty good as yeah. they're non-alcoholic, but uh, that doesn't really matter, and I don't think I go. I don't shame anybody for it, and I hope that that's not a thing. But yeah, um, yeah, it's just a, a choice that I made, and I I don't think I've met one person that didn't agree with that choice I made or support me for it. So totally, yeah. I think a lot of like our our worries just come from ourselves. Yeah, like uh, in most things that I've encountered, that would be a struggle to commit to the only true pushback was my own thoughts, my own process. Like, Oh, I shouldn't take this risk. And it's, it's me saying that it's not, it's not necessarily other, <coughs> other people saying that kind of thing. Yeah. No one, no one expected it from me. It was all me. It was all like, I thought I was going to be missing out. I thought I was going to look weird. I thought I was going to be, you know, the odd man out, but, and, and it was the same way of like, I needed to go out all the time because I thought I was going to miss out on something. And you truly don't like you don't miss out on anything by not drinking. Yes. Yeah. You can have just as much fun. It does take a while to adapt. If you've gone from drinking to not drinking to adapt to like learning how to have fun again without it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's huge for, to be able to do that. What would you say was like the moment when it just hit you and you were like, no more, I need to change. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this actually before I came over here. Um, it was just, I didn't like who I was and um, a lot of people didn't like who I was. I even um, got a nickname going for my like drunk alter ego um, and it was just bad. It was just bad news for me. I was just doing a lot of dumb stuff. Um, I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good employee. Um, my fitness was crap. Um, but for me, probably the tipping point uh, was I was at a hockey game with a buddy, and then it was just another story, another drunk story where I was, you know, just making really bad decisions. And and then um, I was actually supposed to go down to 
uh, Calgary to meet uh, my niece and I missed going down there and it was just like that was just the tip or the icing on the cake I guess was just another really bad choice yeah so so far uh, just working off of like stubbornness in terms of like I don't want to drink I'm not gonna drink um, I've had and now I have buddies when we go out and we you know like a bartender puts a drink in front of me they take it and just like they step up I don't even have to say anything um, but then again I'm pretty vocal on my social media about me being sober so it's not really like it's a huge thing anymore yeah totally I think you definitely uh, your allies will always outweigh any any pushback that you have kind of thing yeah and I realize that not I, I also don't try to be like preachy with it because I don't think that sobriety needs to be a thing for everybody because um, it doesn't like people can definitely handle their alcohol and have a, a good relationship with alcohol and that's cool uh, I just couldn't so I just don't have it anymore yeah totally yeah so tell me more about your soccer journey like you got to travel all over what kind of people were on your team because it's going to be a dynamic mix like yeah um so um the paralympic soccer team uh i guess we'll just start there and move backwards but um is made up of um people with cerebral palsy uh which i have um and then also uh pre-existing uh like brain injuries uh there's a couple guys that had very similar injuries to um, Sidney Crosby when he got that full rotational concussion, um, but just never recovered. Um, so they couldn't really have contact, like they couldn't head the ball or they're not supposed to head the ball, um, that type of stuff. Um, whereas the rest of the team was made up of either um, dudes like me who have, uh, they call it, I think, hemiplegia. So it only affects one side of your body um, or fully affects your body, uh, things like that. So, um, that team has taught me a lot, taught me to be humble. Um, and like, it was just, it was unique in the way that like we would go out and, you know, people staring, people looking at us, people looking at me. Cause it doesn't look like I have cerebral palsy wondering if I'm a coach or wondering, you know, all sorts of things I'm sure. Um, so, it, and I, I had to like bite my tongue quite a bit with, especially when we were down, in other countries and stuff it was I had to bite my tongue on people staring and whatnot but um, it was great the still to this day like I keep in contact with some of those guys um, definitely keep in contact with a coach uh, now that he sees me running and stuff he's asked me uh, if I'm interested in coming back just not part of my life right now but um, yeah it was I, I can't thank those guys enough for for giving me the opportunity to do that it was phenomenal and I think like it, you you alluded to it. It's basically people look at you and they're like, ah, oh, he he doesn't have cerebral palsy. But like, what's it like living life having a thing that not everybody believes that you have, but you're still kind of battling it in in some capacity. Um. Well, I've gone through waves with it in terms of like when I was younger, uh, I used to be really sensitive about it. Um, as I've gotten older, though, I don't. It kind of just brushes off it doesn't really affect me as much anymore uh, more my just my fine motor skills uh, the left side of my body gets tired faster um, I can't lift as much with my left side uh, so it's not really like it's a, a an everyday struggle for me which I'm super grateful for because um, yeah. I see those guys that I was on the team with and just the struggles that they have in life and I just thank God I guess every single time I'm not dealing with those things yeah and it's like there's a spectrum 
to the illness but that goes with just about anything you could have kind of thing like with with cancer there can be a cancer that completely debilitates a person or they they lose the battle and then there can be a cancer that nobody even knew just like Bob at work was out of the office for two weeks came back and he didn't say why kind of thing like there's it's such a spectrum but at the same time there's no reason to not like acknowledge whatever part of the spectrum you're on kind of thing yeah and I think I've acknowledged it a lot more um and been vocal about it a lot more because again unless somebody brought it up I would never bring it up so but now I've kind of brought up because I'm proud the fact that I've been able to accomplish some of the things that I've done while having it um so um yeah the way I see it and I think the reason that I brought it up is because like there's going to be kids that are having the same illness like they're they're in the same situation and they're like man like I don't think anybody else is like me because they're not going to know yeah and And anybody anybody that's listening to this that wants to you know get involved with Paralympic sports uh, I know the coach for my Paralympic soccer team Drew Ferguson always asking me about kids I see or kids I know or anybody in the Edmonton area that want to try out for the team and stuff he, he travels all over Canada just scoping out kids that's amazing yeah so what was it that got you into the team uh, a buddy of mine from high school uh, it was really funny uh, a gentleman by the name of Brendan Nickel um, him and I played uh, some sort of soccer together when we were in high school and he just messaged me one day it was I, I'll never forget the day because it was it was in no, uh, 2011 and I get a Facebook message from him and it was just simply like, hey man, uh, long time no talk. Hey, I remember you, when we played soccer together, you said you had cerebral palsy and I was like, uh, and I hadn't talked to him. We graduated in 2004. I hadn't talked to him for a long time. Yeah. So it was just a funky message to get, I guess. I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. Still playing soccer? I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. My coach wants to meet you. And I was like, your coach? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and then we went into it a little bit more and then I think it was October or October of that year he uh, drew came out to Edmonton to meet me and another couple kids um, and then in November I think it was I went to my first training camp uh, down in Chula Vista in San Diego oh. at the uh, American Olympic facility and that was my first training camp and then from there um, yeah, it was just, it was all just very fast, very surreal. Luckily, um, I was in a different job at the time. I was where I could just up and go, which really worked out well for me because I was in that job pretty much the whole time I was on the team. Um, and it was just easily like, hey, I've got a training camp. Hey, I've got a tournament. Hey, I've got this. I got to go. And they're more than willing to just let me go. So. so how did financing work for being on that team? Did you have to fund all your, your trips and all that nope, stuff? No, nope. um, I think it's, a, I don't know the exact mix of it, but some of it's Soccer Canada. Some of it's, uh, I think it's CP something. I'm not sure. Um, but I just know that, like I had, there was a per diem while you were there. There was uh, flights and accommodation were paid for. Um, they do, just like Olympic athletes, get carding sometimes too, depending on the funding. Yep. Um, not as well funded, obviously, as the uh, men's uh, team or women's team. But, yeah, we get funding that way f- to pay for everything. That's exciting. That's yeah, cool. it was when he, when they said that, that, like, when I got invited to my first camp uh, or my first tournament in Barcelona, it was 2012, I think it was. 
Um, and I was just like, I can't afford this and blah, blah. And he's like, and I just didn't even think that that was going to be paid for. And it was like, no, like it's paid for. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm in then. Yeah. So, and that was, that was amazing. Like it was just, and I think that's what I miss most about it was those trips is that like dorm room, training field, soccer game, dinner with everybody, uh, lunch with everybody, you know, just all these different sessions, like, I guess the camaraderie and just the, the fun times that we had, cause we were stuck in some university dorm corridor Yeah, and it was just, and the team ranges from like 15 year olds all the way up to, I think the oldest guy, uh, if Jamie's still, this guy, Jamie's still playing, I think he's 43 or 44 or something like that. Still got it. Yeah. So, and he's the best player on the team by yeah. far. So it's just like, um, which I now he he lives in Victoria. I think he I don't know if he's involved in it anymore or not. But um, yeah, I think if I went back now, I'd probably be the oldest guy on the team. But um, yeah, it's just incredible. And, and you see kids like there was a kid that came into the program when I first started. Uh, Sam, he's now playing at university somewhere out uh, out east. Yeah. On a t- I, I don't know like a like eleven aside, football like soccer team. Yet he's the captain of the Paralympic team, and he just he does both. And to watch him when he first came in to the team, we always joked around about like breaking him out of his shell. And then like over the years, he just kind of got comfortable with all of us. Yep. And now I see the kid on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, and he's a rock star. Like he's just unreal. So it's just cool to watch him develop from that to that. And he's like a hundred times the soccer player I'll ever be. But yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So where I want you to identify moments of pure joy when you felt happiest and we're going to zero in on your experience on that soccer team so try to think of like a few moments where it was like holy crap like I couldn't be anywhere else that is more joyful than this uh that first trip to Spain was pretty phenomenal stepping onto the field um there I, I don't even know i I was off Facebook for a while and I think I lost all the photos. I had, I had taken like 900 photos on our day off. Yeah. Um, which to no one's surprise, I love taking photos, but, um, I think I, I don't even think I have any of them anymore, but it was just like stepping on the field and the one game I think that I started, it's crazy, man, to, to stand there and they're singing your national anthem and you're standing there with a bunch of guys representing your country was pretty pretty phenomenal experience yeah um granted we didn't have a whole bunch of people in the crowd we didn't but it was i was in spain the field was on the beach in barcelona like it was a turf field that backed right onto the the black sea i think it, i don't know if i'm doing that geography correct or not but it was just it was a phenomenal experience and that was that was so cool and then to go back again we went back the very next year to i think it was the same tournament or whatever and then to go, we didn't stay at the same place, so to drive past and just kind of relive all those memories of the place we stayed at the first time was totally. pretty cool. Yeah. So, do you have any ways that you remember that? Any mementos? Any souvenirs? I've got a travel box, a very disorganized travel shoe box that has like um, plane tickets, um, train tickets. I've got the medals uh, from there because um, I think we came in first place. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff like, and this travel box got like, I think we have like, um, uh, 
like those buffs or whatever that you get when oh, yeah. you do like running events and stuff like that type of stuff they gave us that I've got that from like when we went to Montreal uh, tournament there in 2013 I think it was I think it was like something sportif active deactive sportif or something like that tournament there that I've got all that stuff from there um, yeah I, I keep everything that's awesome that. yeah so what was training camp like for you uh, it was it was good um, for me, and that was the hard part for me to get used to, is that because I'm more of an able-bodied person with cerebral palsy, um, I probably could have done like two-a-day stuff and been, but we had to, we scaled stuff back, obviously just for everybody. Yeah. So I think that it was, uh, it was interesting to see how those training camps were run and how um, our trainers and our coaches and our coach was just he's been interacting with all of us uh, for so long that it doesn't even phase him to like to have to deal with certain things and yeah. especially for um, for me coming in I was just mind blown at the fact that like all these guys are you know they've got some of them have to wear like ankle braces just to walk let alone run and you know trap the ball and you know everything like that was just phenomenal it was crazy what would you say would be the biggest benefit of your experience in playing on that team versus just any other team that you've played on? Being so grateful um, to have turned out the way that I did. Yeah. Um, medically, I have no idea why I'm not like that. I've never really... I think I went to um, at the Children's Hospital in Calgary when I was really young. Um, I went to something that had to do with cerebral palsy, but other than that... Um, I really just kind of just done whatever I do, lived my life, played my sports. Yeah. Never had to deal with anything. And um, just kind of made me more aware of that, how, how good I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. And that's that's kind of a, a helpful tool because like I, I see kind of how you sort of exercise gratitude in your day-to-day. Like, it shows in your social media and stuff like that through your photography. Yeah. And I think a lot of us aren't able to exhibit that quality. Like it sucks. People have to have something like hit them hard to realize what we have. Yeah. Like we're always in this victim mentality and I think we always catch ourselves in it. Yeah. But well, I still do too. Yeah. For sure. I just have, I just try to stay out of that rut or I try to limit how long I'm in that rut for um, and, and exit it immediately. What would you say your tool for getting out of the rut is? Running. Running. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, where's your favorite place to run? Uh, River Valley, yes. Um, but right around my neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, I live in Windermere. So uh, there's a bunch of different segments that... Uh, I do, and they kind of have a loop that goes around the perimeter of the whole community. Yeah. Um, and then you go down this, where all these like massive houses are, and it's just cool to watch them go up and what they turned into and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'd say probably around Windermere, but then obviously everybody that comes on here, and you ask anybody, it's Edmonton River Valley. It's some, I still am in awe of that place. So yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's back to gratitude. Like yeah. We're all thinking, oh man, I wish I could like pick up and leave, yeah. move. It's so cold here, but like you don't, people don't realize what they have. <laughs> yeah, well, I grew up in Calgary, so there's obviously that uh, rivalry um, yeah. for anything. 
Um, and I'll be honest, like when I, I've been here now for almost for 10 years, but for the first four, I wouldn't admit that I was staying. Like I was just like, I was always going to move back. I was always one foot out the door to go back to Calgary. Yeah. Um, and granted, I haven't explored the Calgary running community or running areas as much as I have Edmonton's, but, uh, I've had other friends and family and stuff say that like the Edmonton river Valley is amazing. And I fully agree. And now that I'm running a lot more, um, with some more seasoned runners that I have explored the areas a lot more, I'm seeing even more of it and falling more in love with it. So it's pretty yeah. nice. What was your introduction into running? What got you running in the first place? <laughs> so I warned him about this. So my brother, um, my biological brother, Steve, uh, He's been a runner for as long as I can remember. Um, and when I was being a little bit uh, less kind to myself, not taking care of myself, uh, him and I didn't really always talk. Like He was always there for me and everything, but we just didn't really have a relationship. So when I started to get sober, I wanted to... I basically just jumped on the, his bandwagon of, like, he runs, I'm going to run. Yeah. That'll be our connection. Yeah. Um, so... He was he was my starting point for sure. Um, just trying to find new ways to talk and have stuff to talk about. That's awesome. Yeah. Does that continue or have oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'll, uh, me, him, and my dad have like a a free minute, free men group message. Um, that's solely based on like uh, sports and activities. Um, my brother, like I'll, I'm more like active in terms of like I'll send them my Strava thing and be like. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. Blah, blah, blah. He'll give me some tips. He's actually, I've dubbed him my unofficial uh, coach, whether he likes it or not yeah. for my running. So, yeah. uh, which is just more consistent of like, okay, do this, okay, do that, do this, do that. And so it's, it's good. It's kept us, I think it's helped open more doors for him and I to be a little closer. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's good to have that common ground in, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. For because sure. like down the road, you need that support. Yeah. Uh, what's the best advice he's given you on running? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, me and him have always had the relationship of kind of just like poking fun of each other. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's been so much of advice. Like I think his, his, his advice was like, go running. Like, <laughs> like, Man, it was just solid. Like, yeah, like it's, <laughs> it seems pretty simple. It was just like, yeah, go run. There yeah. you go. Uh, well like, no, but like, what do I need to like, do I need to do hills? Do I need to do like interval training? Boys like, yeah, we'll get there eventually. And then like a week later, it's like, uh, are you sending me something? And it's like, no, just go run. And so, uh, yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's break down your family and like, how do each of them sort of play a role in, in you and who you are in the decisions you make? How have they influenced you in some way, shape or form? Um, Kayla, okay, well, that'll take a while. Uh, so I will break it down as much as possible. Um, well, obviously I have my four parents, um, my mom, Janice, uh, my dad, Dave, but then I also have my step parents. So there's Dave and Holly, there's Janice and Jerry. Um, and then my siblings go <laughs> big Aaron, Corey, big Sean, Tatum, little Aaron, Steve, me. Um, and yeah, I, I would say like, uh, I've never lived with my two stepsisters. They've always like, and we range. So my oldest sister, I think is 40, 
four and a, uh, four. I'm not gonna somewhere in her forties. Yeah. Uh, and then my two stepbrothers are really close. They're like forty two. My stepsister Tatum is now forty, I think. Uh, and then us Freemans, Aaron and Steve. Aaron's four years older than me, so thirty six, I think. And Steve's thirty four. So we span quite a distance too. Like my my stepbrothers are exactly ten years older than I am. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I don't. I don't. I've never really lived with any of the step siblings. So, uh, and then when I moved here, um, my brothers always lived in Calgary. My sister and I came up here and lived with my mom because my mom's always lived in Edmonton up until five, 10 years ago. My dad always lived in Calgary. Yeah. Um, so there's a few times where uh, I thought the grass was greener on the other side. So I would come live here for a little bit and then miss my friends and come home. Um, so, but as far as my, my siblings go, my brother's always been like Steve. My biological brother's always been, um, like, growing up, I used to copy everything he did, uh, steal his clothes, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, he got into snowboarding, I got into snowboarding. Uh, he skateboarded, I skateboarded, all that kind of stuff. Um, my sister, uh, I call her my big little sister because she's so much shorter than I am. <laughs> um, I can put my head on top of hers. Yeah. Um, She's just more been my, like, sounding board, I guess. Because her and I are so much alike. Okay. Uh, whereas my brother, the, the middle child, is, like, uh, flies under the radar. Uh, whereas me and my sister are so outgoing. Uh, so I talk to her a lot and run things through her a lot for anything that's going on in my life. Um, my sister Tatum, um, her and I have just kind of always talked been and and you know she's been there for me when I needed her and stuff like that but um again because of there's a huge age gap um family gatherings were always awesome plus she lived in like Germany she's got like a she's got two different degrees she's lived in Germany as a nanny for years and stuff like that so um I think our relationship is starting to grow more now than it oh, yeah. was when we were younger. Yeah. Um, and then my two stepbrothers, I always just lumped these two guys in together, Corey and Sean. Um, I worked for my stepdad doing attic insulation for um, every summer from the time I was 14 to when I was playing on the Canadian Paralympic team, I was working for him. Okay. Um, and they are part owners in the company as well. Um, so I'd see them every day at work. And then when I turned 18, uh, I was living in Edmonton, they were living in Edmonton. Uh, they showed me the ropes of whatever you want to call it, the bars and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I took a lot of joy when I was younger being like, I was 10 years, I'm 10 years younger than them. So it was really funny to like, you know, they were 22 when I was 12 or when I started working there, I was 14, they were 24. So just the stories I just laughed all the time at, um, we joked around a lot. So, um, I got to just hang out with my brothers every day. And it was cool that way. And I, and the thing is, is that what some people don't understand is I, they've been, my parents have been separated since I was like one, I think. I, I, and so, and then my mom and my stepdad got married when I was in grade two. So I think those guys are been my family as long as I can remember. Yeah. So I don't even refer to them as my step siblings when I introduce them, unless someone's really confused by the two Sean's thing. Yeah. Um, our parents weren't bored. It's we're step siblings, but <laughs> um, yeah, like I, they're always been my 
older siblings and I've never thought of them as anything different. I've never known anything different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, oh, and then also big Aaron again. Um, she's always been, again, as I was younger, didn't really have a huge relationship. We just had family events, all that kind of stuff, everything together. Um, but again, as we've gotten older, uh, she has three kids. I try to be a part of their lives too. Uh, but they live in Calgary, uh, just outside of Calgary. Um, but as a whole, like anytime anything was going on in my life, I knew that uh, no matter what, I could always count on every single one of them to always be there. Um, sometimes at like three or four in the morning, they didn't really like my phone calls. Um, but we got over that. We've gotten past that. So yeah, um, yeah. I just I can't. I'm I'm luckiest dude in the world in terms of the fact that I come from this massive family. Uh, immediate family not to even mention my cousins and everything no kidding that's got to be wild yeah like I think on my dad's side I I can't even remember last time I counted I think it was 25 or 26 cousins on my dad's side and then um, my mom has four or five four siblings they uh, most of them have kids too so I've got a huge huge family huge support system Um, it's yeah I wouldn't want it any other way that's awesome yeah so your commission sales, there's going to be ups and downs. Yeah. How do you stay motivated week to week? Like, what are some things that you just do every week to stay at the top of your game? Uh, I just, uh, I have fun with social media. Yeah. Like, um, at my store, I do have a lot of downtime. Um, like, whether, you know, I do on occasion like phone try to bring customers in but for me doing like the instagram videos instagram posts um for a while i actually created a separate instagram account just decided not to do it anymore but um you have a lot of fun that way um and then editing photos i it's just all about keeping myself busy keeping myself uh kind of on point while i'm waiting for another customer yeah um yeah and i just i think that um, yeah, it's, I don't know how else I motivate myself. I think that's just, that's it. It's just trying to, you know, do some research on stuff that I'm trying to sell to. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the best way I know how. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. And just staying busy kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, are your, are you scheduled for a set schedule yeah. or? Yeah. Like, uh, Sunday, Mondays are my days off. Um, I don't get weekends off, which it sucks at times, but also that's when everyone else is out shopping. So it just yeah. makes sense to, to be there. Um, but yeah, so Tuesday to, to Saturday, I'm just at work. A lot of times I'm at work a lot more than I want to be, but, um, that's the life of commission sales. You just go when you, you know, when there's a, when we have a good promotion on, I'm there all the time okay. uh, from open to close. Yeah. Um, we work in a smaller store, so it's, uh, you know, there's, there's only three of us at my home, my home location. Um, so, you know, if one of them is sick or away or on holidays, you know, you got to cover, you got to be there. Um, which I don't mind. It's pretty, you know, you work more, you make more. So, um, I come from an old school thought of, of that way. Um, I still love work-life balance, but if it doesn't happen for like a a month or so, I'm cool with that too. Makes sense. Makes sense. What happens if you get sick? Um, Luckily enough, like I have a, I have a good team. We, we look after each other, so they do the same. Um, we grumble here and there about it, but yeah. it's, we're, 
I've worked with my manager, uh, Forrest, for four years now. And the guy's taught me so much in terms of how to be a better commission salesperson, be a little hungrier um, in that sense. But also, uh, I think I've rubbed off on him a little bit with being uh, toning it back a little bit too. So yeah. we have a good mix. And then we just added a, another salesperson last year. And she's phenomenal too in the fact that like she's the same way as me where she, if she like we need to work we need to work yeah makes yeah. sense yeah and I'm just thinking like the ebbs and the flows like you almost have to work harder in preparation for when you might be sick or when it might be slower right yes yeah um, obviously any business any retail business knows it's a little bit slower after, right after Christmas yeah so the first couple of years I was not good at preparing for that yeah um, and then you just but it yeah you just gotta be prepared Pretty much, sure. yeah. totally, and it's it's no different than the training industry, and especially if if you're like a contractor working independently, because like there, some people say that January is when it gets busy, but that may not necessarily be the truth. It just depends on the dynamic. So there's always going to be surges when it's busy, or times when like all of your clients are in town at once and all of them are ready to train, but then another week it could be just like no clients or clients are going on a holiday or just the way it correlated if if you're a trainer that's been doing it a long time then like your client moved on like they're independent they don't need you anymore and yeah. just the timing of it all and yeah. it's just I see it as like if things are if I was ever super busy I wouldn't necessarily say okay that's good enough I would just take whatever clients came yeah. and just do my best to deliver my best, knowing that one day down the road, future Chris is going to thank present Chris. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just about adopting that that mindset. is so so applicable to so many different jobs. Yeah, I think. Well, for me too, like obviously, being in a mattress store, usually people think it's like one and done. You don't need to buy a mattress every month, right? Or you yeah. shouldn't at least. Yeah if the guy's done his job properly. Um, but uh, it's that repeat business because I'm lucky enough that we have it set up that I can luckily sell like anything the brick carries, not just mattresses. So I really love that repeat business of like, okay, I need this this time. But then like I'm a lot of people, some people don't like it, but I, I've even put my cell phone number on my card. I've had colleagues in the past be like, why, why would you do that? And it's like, well, how do you expect the person to trust you if you're not willing to trust them with your, something as simple as your phone number? Yeah. Right? So it's, it's, um, and I love it because I get people, I get text messages. Now, granted, I've gotten better. I used to go, like if somebody would text me, I'd go to like my closest store and, you know, figure it all out. But I've gotten better with like, hey, it's my day off. You know, I'm back in the store this day. You know, I'll help you then. Um, but getting text messages from customers, you know, that want something else is, is fantastic. Right? It's, it's it for me that building that rapport to to have that with my customers is awesome totally and like the way i see it the way direct the direction things are going now is i i'm almost surprised that your cell phone number wouldn't be typed on your card kind of it is yeah it is now okay, like that's cool. the thing yeah so just some people just don't do that and yeah and it, i and i get the reasons why i get you know like there's some times where you know you get that text message that like you know, 11 o'clock at night or you get a phone call and some people just rather have our customer service deal with it. But we're in our small stores. I am the customer service too. So it's might as well just 
be able to make it easier for the customer. Totally. Right? So it's uh, it's good that way. It's a good attitude to have. Yeah. Because I know like I've gotten lots of advice in my training career so far and a lot of it was just like, look, if you're going to do this, you're in this for this people. Yeah. So if they send you a text, respond. Like respond within like an hour, two hours if you can kind of thing. Well, our, our industries are similar in the fact that like social media is becoming a huge part of it. Yeah. Like it's not just word of mouth anymore. It's not, that's not good enough. Yeah. Right. So, um, having that presence on social media, I don't, I find that I like to do it more from a standpoint of like, come, come deal with me. Yeah. Cause like whether you look at it, furniture companies all sell very similar stuff. Um, some different than others, obviously, but, um, I find making the, the shopping experience through me is what I want them to have, not necessarily the products we have. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about your entry into photography. How, how <laughs> far back did you start taking pictures? Um, I would say like actual photography. I wouldn't say, I would say that uh, this like last year, um, my wife has had, uh, a camera in our drawer in the drawer for forever yeah um one of my buddies uh ryan was who is also an awesome photographer um i just went out shooting with him one day i guess and i kind of just took off from there nice. I, yeah and then um i went out to Banff for our my wife and i's uh anniversary and took the camera with us and luckily got some really good stuff there and then um now more so I take a lot uh, with my phone not so much with uh, during the winter I'm a big baby um, I don't like being outside that much yeah um, which is surprising if you look at my Instagram you'll see that I spent a lot of time outside this winter um, but I find this summer I'll get back into actually taking a camera um, I got a new tripod and stuff I want to try a bunch of different things and, and do that um, but I always joke around like I'm Zoe Deschanel from Yes Man. I'm that person running around, taking photos while running. Some people like running with me. <laughs> Some people don't <laughs> for that reason because I stop to take photos no yeah. matter what run I'm doing. Um, the, the trick is now exploring new parts because, you know, if you run the same route all the time, there's only so many pictures you can take on that route. So, so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, seriously, I started to really like taking photos and stuff. Um, and sharing them last last September or last August. Nice. Yeah. So, what's the one picture that you think you're probably the most proud of? If you could pick one. Oh, that's tough. I like all my pictures, but um, I think one of my first ones that I took. Uh, there's, and then the fun part for me is the editing stuff and taking spinning it because. Everybody takes photos a lot of in Edmonton of the same places, right? So yeah. um, there's one of like, uh, of course, Edmonton's new favorite hotspot to take photos of Walterdale Bridge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it was like probably the third or fourth time I'd been out shooting, and that's probably one of my favorite photos. That's awesome. Yeah. So, would you say it's because it was like one of your earlier experiences, so it has that sentimental value kind of thing? Or? Oh yeah, like it was one of the and then. Just the fact that, like, I like the stuff that I post on there, and yeah, and it's it was me when I, when I took it and I edited it and everything like that. 
I kind of just like I looked at it. It was my screensaver on my phone. Like I actually just love the photo. Yeah. So I just I think and yeah. So that's probably it. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's change gears. Let's talk about your other half, your wife. Yeah. What are your five favorite things about her? <laughs> um, her goofiness. Um, her uh, love of. I wouldn't say love of travel, but the fact that the the woman has not been home, lived in her home country for a very long time, um, and just her her need to want to explore. I don't necessarily have that need. I want I like traveling, I like to see different places, but it's like built into her that yeah. she just wants to be like somewhere else. And that's it that's cool. But uh, also her work ethic. Um, the lady's a workaholic and in a good way, like she's, she's always striving to be, um, better at her job. Um, she's phenomenal at her job, I think. Um, and then I think, uh, another thing I love about her is her accent because she's from Australia. Yeah. Um, how many is that? Four? Four. We got one more. Um, just, I guess, her adaptiveness. Like, she lives across the world from her family. Um, she's been welcomed by mine to adapt to such a huge family of mine yeah. and deal with all that. Uh, so I guess her adaptiveness, her accept- acceptiveness of all that uh, is another thing I love about her. So how did the two of you meet? Uh, we worked for a company uh, together. She came over a year before we met. Um, we both ended up working at the same, uh, place. Um, we both came out of relationships and, um, she said it was like, like that, or I just found out she was single and just started to pay attention to her. Like, um, and they used to call me uh, groundhog day, <laughs> um, because her and, uh, another girl at the office would call me Grand Day because I would start out in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I don't function that well. Uh, I do function. I just don't like talking while I'm functioning. Yeah. Um, so I'd come in, I'd like go past the front desk where her and this other girl sat. I'd go to my desk. I'd do my thing. By lunchtime, I'd like warm up. I'd start to open up. I'd talk and blah, blah. And then as I'm leaving for the day, I'd be like super positive, full of energy. And then it would just start all over again the next day and it was just like that cycle forever until I just got to know that I'm not a jerk I'm just not a morning person so totally yeah so we met there and then uh things moved quickly uh, I think I'm her and I moved in together um started hanging out and all that stuff in September of 2014 moved in together shortly thereafter like I think by January we we're living together yeah and that's the rest is history I guess that's awesome. Yeah. What what did your gut tell you when you're like, oh, is this is this the right one? What what were like the the telltale signs? I don't know. We um, so I think one of our first dates, um, we ended up going to Joey's South Common, I think, and it closed out the place just because we lost track of time talking to her, <laughs> and it was just it was great. It was, she was easy to talk to. Um, she laughed at my jokes. That, that counts. Was, that helps. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm not that funny. So uh, her laughing at my jokes was awesome. And then, I don't know, it's like we just kept hanging out. And then, and then 
has just we've just always been hanging out. So, yeah, it's awesome. I like that. I like it. Yeah. So next question, you've talked about a few of your jobs. Yeah. Take me through the the path of jobs that you've had because I know that we've talked about like your past jobs. You've had quite a few. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to figure out what I was gonna do. Um, so I think my very first job. I would try and do this quick. Very first job was uh, KFC. Nice. I was 13. Uh, next after that was a restaurant in Calgary, Santa Fe Grill, I think it was called, on McLeod Trail in Calgary. Okay. Um, next was uh, American Eagle. I was a fashionista for a while. Very nice. Uh, did the double popped collar with the, the polo shirts, which was like a, not, even, not necessarily a requirement, but they didn't say no. So yeah. It was like, I look, I'm just glad I don't think there's any photos around for that. <laughs> um, and then I moved here. Um, I actually was transferred with American Eagle to Kingsway. Um, I was the only male employee other than the manager. Oh, what was yeah. that like? It was interesting. Uh, I'm still friends with a couple of them. Uh, well, you know, uh, Becky Robinson. Yeah, I yeah. know of her. Yeah, she uh, her, she used, she worked there with me. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and then my other friend Kristen. So I'm still friends with uh, two of them. But it was just funny because I was 16 or 15, 16, yeah. and I was I was surrounded by all. And I remember very clearly uh, the two that I'm still friends with. Very strong women, uh, physically and mentally. Uh, so it was very cool uh, to see what they're up to now opposed to back then. Um, all while I was also working doing summers with my stepdad doing attic insulation. Yeah. Um, I've gone out to the rigs a couple times. Uh, once when I was uh, like 18 or 19. Nope, that's a lie. 24 or 23, 24? I don't know. I can't remember that. Somewhere First in time. there. Somewhere in there. So yeah. in that five-year period. Um, and then more recently, last year, I went out again, just realized it's not for me. Yeah. After being a salesman for so long, you can't revert back, I don't think. Um, worked at the Brick as well uh, when I was younger. Um, I did, at first I was, uh, did the free hot dogs out front. Nice. Then I did um, store merchandising. Uh, did warehouse attendant at the Brick in Calgary. Also did uh, the fleet department in Calgary and then in Edmonton. And then, uh, what else have I done? I've done electrician for a little bit. Um, I've framed houses. I built, I think, uh, three or four of them in Calgary. So I won't say the area, just in case they've fallen down since then. <laughs> um, yeah, and then also I've done uh, headhunting. Nice. And that's where I have met uh, Cassandra or Chuka, whichever way you want to look at it. Is that like a nickname or? Yeah, so it's a nickname her dad gave her uh, when she was a few months old. Okay. Uh, and it's just stuck. So um, unless she's in a professional setting, I guess, uh, like at work and stuff, everyone knows her as Cassandra, which is her real given name on yeah. the birth certificate. Yeah. Uh, but Chuka is means chicken. Is C H O O K A. Yeah. Um, is her name, like everyone else calls her that. Cause I've noticed like your your Instagram hashtags and stuff, and it's like Chuka and Wombat. Yeah, Wombat and Chuka. So that started uh, at our wedding, cause um, a tradition of her dad's 
is she he gives uh, family members nicknames. Yeah. Um, and he chose Wombat for me. So, um, yeah, it just seemed like a catchy little hashtag to use. That's awesome. Yeah. What What does the nickname of Wombat mean to you? I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Okay. Uh, like, I knew what a Wombat was, so I was like, and it was like fat little furry thing. I don't know how fast it moves, so I don't know. But uh, it got a good laugh during his wedding speech and stuff, and I just kind of accepted it. Like, her brothers got one, her sisters got one. Um, yeah, just, yeah. I wouldn't say it's my spirit animal yet, but, uh, <laughs> I've joked around about, I'm going to get a tattoo on one of my legs that has like a wombat and a, a chicken sitting on top of it. And just as much as my wife loves tattoos, we'll just see how that goes. I think that'd be awesome. You should do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. And yeah. I think like, I don't know, I'd say own it, own the wombat. Oh, for sure. Are. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm going to get, I, like I said, I will get a tattoo of a wombat eventually, but uh, especially now that it's on a podcast. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, I've fully accepted it. I love it. I've for a while, it was, people were like making fun of it and I was like, whatever. Nah. I've got a badass nickname. So yeah. Like if you can own anything, people have nothing on you. Yeah. That goes for what you do for work. Mm-hmm. That goes for your value system. That goes for everything. Just own it. I agree. So out of all of those jobs, I want you to share things three lessons that you learned, like three things that you would tell to your great, great grandkids about like, Hey, this is how we get through life. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, I would say just, I would say what it's taught me is that not one have pride in whatever you do. Yeah. Cause people will respect you for that. Like if you're, I think my dad was always telling me, I don't care what you do in life. You could be a ditch digger. Just be the best damn ditch digger there ever was. Like just, like you said, just own it. Be prideful in what you do. And people will respect you for it. They'll admire you for it. And and you'll be happier because of it. If you're always down on like what you do, because uh, there was for sure, like I didn't, like attic insulation is not the most glamorous job being the owner of an attic insulation company like my stepdad was was is cool but like being an attic insulator for me wasn't necessarily always like i wasn't proud of that and i've never really looked at like having a career i just had jobs as you can see i had many jobs yeah now i feel like i'm in a career but um yeah just having pride so i don't know if there's three but i think that's just overall the jobs i've had just have pride in what you do no matter what it is and you'll be more successful, you'll be happier, and people will see that about you. Totally, and I agree. And like that, that is just as good as three points kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, the way I look at it is honestly, like if you are struggling to find a way to be proud of what you're doing, then maybe just find something else. But like if, if you're finding a way to be proud, then you're doing the right thing. And I think you're the, the proudest mattress salesperson that I know. I love my job. Yeah. Like I, like, yeah like I I do I like it's funny I'm 32 and I talk about mattresses way too much that's how it works like it's I'll be out for something so I'll be like I'll ask Freeman about that and then I'll go off for like half an hour to 45 minutes and I'm not there's still so much to learn obviously yeah all these different companies and everything but 
yeah, it's just, it's fun. I like it. Somebody asks how my life is going and I start talking to them about training. I'm like, oh, well, uh, when you're lifting that, you should probably brace your core, make sure yeah. you're breathing through your rib cage, you yeah. know, like, yeah. it's just, if we are really passionate about something, it's going to show. Yeah. And if somebody's going to choose somebody, they're going to choose somebody that resonates that pride in what they do. Cause it's like, you don't, you don't choose someone that doesn't glow with, with pride. You don't, you don't make choices on things that brand themselves as second rate. Like yeah. you, you make your choices based on what, what seems like the, the right gut instinct, what seems like, uh, the, the most premier brand kind of thing. And yeah. so in a way in, in you glowing about what you are doing, you're basically being like the Apple product yeah. of your, yeah. of your trade. Yeah. Which is great. Oh, I appreciate that. I like that. It's it's something to take away. You get the souvenir from the podcast. You're like, I'm the mother flipping apple product of of this trade. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> I'll take it. So I now segue into the question that I ask all of my guests. If you could give one piece of advice on how to authentically live your life to the fullest, yeah, what would that piece of advice be? Um. Just be a person of integrity, own who you are, um, and don't be, and, and just don't, like, I guess, uh, don't lie to yourself. Like, uh, you're, you're going to live more authentically, I guess, if, that, if you, you don't try to lie to yourself about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then just when you are, when you do choose to do something, own it, take pride in it, be happy about it, and, and I think you'll just be successful in living your most authentic life. I like it. Don't lie to yourself. That one's good. Yeah. So thanks for joining me. Of course, man. Like I said, it's an honor uh, looking at some of the guests you've had on here. I'm not sure where I fit in all of it, but I, I do appreciate being asked and being on here. Everybody has a way that they fit, <laughs> yeah. for sure.